0: My name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are going to be working through the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 18. If you don't, don't worry. We're going to be putting all the relevant verses up here. Um, if you got on a smartphone or on, a, on an iPad or something like that, you can pull it up as well. And if you're joining us online, man, I'm so glad that you're joining us this morning. I'm glad that you took some time out of your day. Wherever you are, whether you're on vacation, you're at a baseball field or you're at home somewhere um, to pursue Jesus together with us. Uh, A couple quick announcements before we get going is uh, next week, next week, We are going to be honoring and celebrating our children's pastor, Mary Weinbender, who after almost 24 years, or over 24 years, is going to be retiring at the end of the month. And so if you um, haven't already planned on, I'd encourage you to plan on being here uh, for service. We'll be celebrating in service, but also in the afternoon, we're going to have kind of an open house thing um, uh, over 24 years. Mary Weinbinder has had an impact on so many people, and many of those people um, uh, now have grown or or moved or whatever and live in different places, and so we want to give them an opportunity as well to celebrate her. So next Sunday, plan on being here, and then come and celebrate her in the afternoon with us as an open house here. And then secondly is last week uh, was Mother's Day. If you didn't know that, it's too late now, so just read an apology letter. Um, but it was Mother's Day, and so we kicked off our annual, what we do every month, month-long uh, diaper and wipes drive for families who foster. And uh, last week, you guys were awesome. We invited you guys to do a couple things, and you can still do those things. We invited you to consider um, getting involved in the foster care system. Uh, we invited you to uh, do a child sponsorship through an organization we work with called Mission of Hope and Hope. International, and we invited you to bring some diapers and wipes, and one of the easiest ways to do any of those things is to, right here, it's on the screen, is to text Monmouth to 97,000. So in the number portion, you're putting 97,000, and then you send this number, the word Monmouth is the message. Now, don't worry, it's not 10 digits, but your phone's smart enough, it'll figure it out, and it's going to kick you back a menu, and number one, it says Mom's Day, Okay, and if you respond, number one, on mom's day, it'll give you. Ways to respond with all those. And what's awesome is that in this COVID world, we've all gotten so used to technology, right? And so so um, with diapers and wipes, one of the things we offered you last week was, hey, if you want to click on the link, it'll take you to our Amazon wish list, right? And um, you can, right where you're sitting, right? If you're in the room right now, you can act like you're paying, like you can have an excuse not to pay attention. You can pull out your phone and act like you're on Amazon ordering diapers while you're on Instagram tweeting, posting something, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> um, But you can order diapers right now. Here's here's what's awesome, okay? Starting Monday, Monday to Friday, every single day, because of you guys, we had UPS, USPS, FedEx, and Amazon deliver diapers every single day. They're getting very familiar with where we are, okay? Um, I, I think they might be concerned that we might have an incontinence issue here because we're ordering so many diapers. But they're very familiar. And here's the craziest thing. I told First Service that, and I'm like, oh, this is awesome. You know, you guys have been, we've filled probably 25% of the trailer that we want to fill so far. This is awesome. <laughs> you know what happened between service? Amazon delivered diapers. <laughs> there are two boxes now out in the front lobby that Amazon dropped off in the middle of services. And so you can go on that Amazon wish list, and it'll fill in our address, which is like the best thing about it. You can go to Walmart or any other place you want to buy diapers as well, but the Amazon thing is the best. Texting Monmouth to 97,000, super easy. If you don't want to, you have to remember our address. It's 959 Church Street West, Monmouth, Oregon, 97361. It's Church Street because Monmouth Christian Church started the town, the university, and the church on the corner of Monmouth and Church, which is now the center of campus. And for about 100 years, we weren't on Church Street, we were out on Monmouth, and then in 2001, we moved back to Church Street, and so now we're Monmouth Christian Church on Church Street, back where we started. So, now you can remember that, okay? 959 Church Street West, okay? There we go. So we're going to do that for the next month through the first week of June. And we'll just continue to encourage you to bring some diapers, to order diapers and have them mailed here so that we can just blow people's socks off with generosity. Um, uh, So here we go. Matthew 18. You got your Bible? We're going to look at four verses today. Four verses today. And in fact, only two of them is Jesus actually talking. Okay? So, So here it is. It's all on the screen right here for you. Let me read it to you. It says this. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and said, Who then is the greatest? I like the way they word that question. It's as if it's a logical conclusion to Matthew 17. But if you read Matthew it makes no sense why they said that. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he called a child to himself and set him among them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Let me give you some context for a couple things on this, on this passage to begin. First of all, Matthew kind of jumps in on the conversation. It seems very abrupt, that all of a sudden they're asking this question. But Luke tells us in recounting the story that the disciples have been having a debate amongst themselves about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And eventually that that debate overwhelms into this question to Jesus. And to be honest, it's kind of easy to understand how they got here, right? I mean, just recently, we we were just looking at the transfiguration. And Jesus takes three of his disciples and he leaves the other nine down at the bottom of the hill and he takes the three up to the top of the mountain and he's transfigured before them and they're up there with him for a couple days. Now, the rest of the disciples don't know at the time what's going on up on the mountain, but you could see them coming down, those three disciples, with a little extra swagger, right? Puffing their chest out a little bit. You know, Andrew suggests, you know, what they should do for dinner and Peter kind of sticks his chest out and goes, nah. <laughs> We were with Jesus on the mountain. Where were you? Right? You could see how, you know, and then, and, you know, if I was Andrew, if I was one of the other disciples, I'd be like, hey, 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 Peter, 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 Peter. You remember that nickname Jesus has for you? Peter would be like, yeah, I'm the rock. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. You remember when he called you the devil? You remember that one? Right? You could see how there could be this kind of, Hierarchy argument. And because, see, here's the language that Jesus uses all the time. And so it's kind of easy to understand why it'd be confusing. Is Jesus uses this word all the time, kingdom. See, in a kingdom, there's a king, but in a kingdom, there's also a court. There's, there's authorities, there's levels, there's people who sit at the right and left hand of people in authority. There's stature, there's a hierarchy in a kingdom. And, and Jesus is coming to establish this kingdom. And the disciples come to him and who who who's the best right in fact they don't get this they don't really understand what jesus says in this whole story which should give us hope for us who so often wrestle to hear over and over again what jesus has to tell us and forget and he has to tell us again it's actually later on two of the disciples convince their mom to go ask jesus right they kind of figure like jesus isn't going to be mean to an old lady right? And so they ask their mom, 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 you go ask. You go ask who gets to be in authority. You go ask who gets to sit at your right hand, who gets to be the most important. And Jesus' responds. and Jesus' response is peculiar. I mean, let's be honest, okay? I, maybe, maybe you're kind of getting this drift. When you read the things that Jesus says, most of the things that Jesus says should seem odd or unexpected to you. If, if, if you read the words of Jesus and you're like, oh, that makes sense, You've probably just like lost the sensitivity to the shocking nature of who Jesus was and what he claimed. Look, they, they ask him this question, who's the greatest? And then look at what Jesus says, okay? Right here. Truly I say to you, unless you change and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Do you, you hear what he just said? That they want to know who's the most important in the kingdom. And Jesus says, if you don't change you might not even make it in. See that? Now, he says later, he's, he reiterates, so, if you, so whoever will humble himself like this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom. But they're concerned with position in the kingdom, and Jesus is concerned with them being in the kingdom. Sometimes we get distracted, and Jesus' concern, Jesus' heart, is with us being with him, near him, this word here in the Greek, um, change, it, 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 um, it's a word that has moments where it crosses, where there's kind of an intersectionality with, um, uh, with another word that you might be familiar with. There are times where you can interchange this Greek word with another Greek word that you might be familiar with that comes up quite a bit in the Gospels. There are other times where they mean different things, but they, they, it's hard to differentiate if they are the same or not the same. And that word that we translate, we translate it as repent. Repent. So look, let me just insert it here for a second for you. Look what Jesus says. Unless you repent and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. That sound familiar? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an echo we hear all throughout the gospels and we hear all throughout scripture. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Unless you change, unless you turn direction, unless you change your mind and the way that you're thinking, you might not even make it in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' greatest concern for you is not your position, but whether you're in or not. Jesus came to die on the cross so that you could come into the kingdom, so that you could be sons and daughters, so that you could have eternal life. I've come that you might have life, and you might have it abundantly, Jesus says in the book of John. The first and most important concern any time we approach Jesus is asking the question is, are we with him? Are we drawing ourselves to him or to our own comforts, our own fantasies, our own ideologies, our own preferences, or to Jesus. But there's this word here. Unless you change, and become like children. In the Greek, the word is um, child. It's, it's um, generally, they define it as younger than seven. Now, obviously, in all languages, it kind of fluctuates on. But younger than seven. So think kind of like um, kindergartner. Toddler, right? Not 12-year-old, not uh, 14-year-old, four-year-old. Jesus, they ask this really important, urgent, pressing question. Who's the greatest? Who gets all the authority? Who gets the power? And Jesus, Jesus sees a little kid and he says, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. And you can just see him kind of squatting down and looking at this kid. You know, there's dried boogers all crammed around his nose. He's still got breakfast kind of hanging off the side of his cheek. And man, he stinks. Okay? Here's the deal. You might try and get your four-year-old to take a bath once a week. In ancient, ancient Near East, bathing was not a thing. And they worked on, walked on dirt roads covered with manure and dirt. I mean, just to start to feel the disgust. I mean, I love my children. Okay? I was going to say children, but that would be dishonest. I love my children. And they're gross. Not my children. The four-year-old. Okay, I'm going to get myself in the weeds here. Okay, Uh, just imagine this moment. Jesus draws them in. They're thinking royalty. They're thinking power. They're thinking authority. And Jesus brings in a four-year-old and says, unless you start to look a a lot more like him, you're not even going to be in. So it made me wonder, What did it mean to be a child in the ancient Near East? What did it mean to be a child in first century Palestine? Because you see, in our culture, we are one of the most child-centric cultures the world has ever seen. We are one of the most child-centric. And so what would it mean 2,000 years ago in the ancient Near East in Palestine? When they say, if you're going to be like a child, what would that culturally mean for them? You know, so I I did some light reading this week. I read the seminal work by Philippe Eres, Les Enfants et la Vie Familia sous l'encent régime. Right? Just a little light afternoon reading. I didn't read it in French. My two years of French in high school didn't help me. But he actually did this really profound, beautiful work about 60 years ago where he talked about just this one thing about how would they have viewed children. And he came up with five things that it would have meant To be a child in the ancient Near East that maybe, just maybe, Jesus is trying to tell us. The first one is this. He says that to be a child in the ancient Near East meant that you had no status, no position. There was one one historian who was writing about it, and he said, "Um, children were often often considered less than cattle because at least cattle produced something. They had no position. They had no status. They, they, hadn't, they, they couldn't go to court and advocate for them. Not that your four-year-old's going to go to court, but you, you know, your four-year-old could end up in court with a lawyer defending the child, fighting for the rights of the child. They, they, they have rights. They have personhood. They have identity. They have stature and position in our culture. They have value. And he says, in ancient Near East, to be a child meant that you, you had no status. You had no position. And so maybe what Jesus is trying to say to them is you guys are so consumed with however people talk about you. You're so consumed by what people think about you. You're so consumed with achieving the highest status or reputation or people speaking honorably or graciously about you or being awed. I mean, just think about the disciples, right? They've been walking with Jesus for a couple of years. Uh, Can we, they would totally expect that they walk into a city and the chatter would begin. Oh, did you see? Did you see? Oh, look, 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 there's Jesus and his disciples. Did you see his disciples? Did you see him? Did you see him? Like they would totally expect people to be in awe of them. And Jesus looks at him and says, unless you look like this kid who has no status, no position, I mean, he could be, because this is something that is echoed throughout the rest of Scripture. Galatians, Galatians 5.13, it says this uh, in Galatians 5.13. Paul's writing to the Church of Galatia, and he says, My friends, you were chosen to be free, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything you want, but instead use it as an opportunity to serve one another with love. Don't use your status or your position as free. Don't use your status or position as disciples. Don't use your status or position as having degrees or education or money or jobs or whatever you have. Don't use those things just for yourself. But instead, become like a servant of no status, of no position, of no respect. Maybe, maybe, maybe... Maybe he's saying, you know, become like Jesus who emptied himself and did not consider equality with God something to be grass, but humbled himself even to the place of a servant. Maybe maybe he's telling his disciples, you've been so consumed with impressing people and being revered by people, but unless you become like a child who embraces that nothing you have is because of you. Maybe that's what he's trying to say to us. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's trying to say something different. Um, uh, The Philippe, our friend Philippe, he he, he says that um, one of the things about children that you recognize in all cultures, not just in the ancient Near East, is humility. Children do not have the capacity for arrogance, okay? Now, maybe your kids are older, maybe they do. Four-year-olds do not, have have you ever been to a t-ball game? There's been a lot of um, pictures and videos I've been seeing on Facebook. You know, since the weather's getting nice. Everybody's out playing baseball and stuff like that. And, and um, j- you know, just the other day, j- just this morning, I saw someone post a picture from yes a video from yesterday, and um, it was a little bit older than T-Ball, but it was where the coach stands about seven feet away from the batter, right, and gives their life on behalf of the batter, swinging a bat. And they take the ball, and they kind of underhand it to the kid, you know, this Level ba- For those of you who are in baseball, you're probably like, oh, yeah, that's blah, 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 level of baseball. And I got no clue. You guys are confusing. Okay? So he takes the ball and he slow pitches it, underhand pitches it to the kid, and the kid knocks the ball about halfway to shortstop. Okay? Which, in case you don't know, I could blow a baseball further than that. Okay? Hmm. The kid runs to first base just like just like a great 4 or 5 year old you know they, they haven't quite figured out how to control their body and how to run and so they do this thick mother running right for a while my kids ran like this you know and they run to first base you know you've never seen you've never seen a 4 year old get to first base and go woo! what now boys look at me boom 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 Right, You've never seen a fourth grader take a bat and hit it off the tee and then bat flip it as they jog to first base. You've never seen it. You've never seen it. There's an innate humility in what it means to be a child. There's an innate lack of arrogance in what it means to be a child. And maybe Jesus is trying to say to his disciples, so consumed with position. You're so consumed with yourself. You come asking the question, which one of us? Which one of us gets to be at the top? Jesus is going, you, you don't even get it. There's a world desperate and broken, not, not in need of more rulers, but in need of more grace-filled gospel proclaiming servants. You don't even get it. So maybe what he's trying to say to his disciples is, You need need the humility like this kid. Like this kid. Again, it's something we see all throughout Scripture. Just five chapters later, Jesus talking to the disciples Matthew 23, which again should give us encouragement that it takes five chapters before Jesus has to repeat himself to the disciples because they forget just like we do. But he says this, but the greatest of you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted shall be exalted so maybe what jesus is trying to say is hey hey you need a little more humility in your life and maybe for us maybe we need a little more humility in our life maybe we need to take a moment you know um uh great thinkers have said that humility is not thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less and maybe what jesus is trying to tell his disciples is they need to spend a lot less time thinking about themselves but maybe it's this one. He says to be a child in ancient Near East and first century Palestine um, meant that you were identified by your family and not by your individual personhood. And, and here's what he means. Um, uh, there was some culture in ancient Near East where they wouldn't even name a child until they got to a certain age. They wouldn't even have a name. And some of them, it was kind of like puberty-ish where they'd start to transition to become an adult. And then part of becoming an adult was they would receive a name. But up until that point, all they were was Jimmy's Kid. I mean, it sounds like a 50s sitcom, right? Aren't you Jimmy's Kid? You get yourself rustled back into that barn back there, boy. You know, I don't know what sitcom that is, but that feels like it, right? In fact, this is what they say to Jesus. They say, oh, aren't you just the carpenter's son? Jesus is over 30 years old at this point. And you know how people identify him? By his family. And maybe what it means to be a child is to recognize, to remember that the wholeness of our identity, of who we are, the essence, the most important part of, what, of who we are as a person is identified in our family. And not in your biological family. It's one of the great gifts of Jesus. Not in your biological family, in the fact that you have been called sons and daughters of the king. That you've been adopted. And maybe what he's trying to tell the disciples is you've gotten so consumed with yourself. You've become so consumed with your own rights, your own position, your own power, your own pride, and you've missed it. That you are nothing apart from this family. That without your daddy being God, you are nothing. That you are the most important part of your identity. And hear this today. The most important part of who you are is that you are a son or a daughter of the king. You are a son or a daughter of the king. We see it all through scripture. First Corinthians, um, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth. And man, if you know the church of Corinth, they are a dumpster fire, Right? Um, when you get to heaven and you're asking around, you meet anyone from the church of Corinth, you'll be like, <laughs> oh, I'm surprised you made it. Um, so he says this, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And here's what he's trying to say. You can't be a finger without a hand. You can't be an eyeball without a head. I mean, you can be, but it'll only take a day or two before you rot, and that's really gross. That, who, that one of the gifts, he, I, was telling, I was telling our team, we have a, before service, we have a little team huddle. We get together, and we, and we talk, and we pray together. Um, and uh, I was telling him a month or two ago, I said, you know, one of the words that Scripture uses, Scripture uses a couple different words to talk about um, this, about the church, right? And we just always translate it like church, right? Um, but they use a couple different words. And one of the words that it uses, the, uh, one of the more common words that it uses, that we could literally, if we literally translate, it, it's called the gathering. See, see, one of the gifts, one of the great gifts of being adopted child of God is that you get a family. You get to be part of a gathering. You get to be a member of a body. And maybe what he's trying to tell disciples is, <laughs> come on, guys, You think this game is about you. You think that somehow you've accomplished things and you've been impressive and you can do anything on your own. But you only do anything when as a branch, you're tied into the vine. When as a son or a daughter, you're tied into the father. Maybe he's critiquing their individualism and reminding them from which family they've been adopted into. But maybe this is maybe maybe one of my favorite, I don't know, something about this phrase just catches me funny. Um, He says that children in the ancient Near East, in first century Palestine, were um, often considered unfinished humans. Isn't that like the most clear, medically kind of sounding definition of a child? Just unfinished, unpolished, busted. And isn't, I mean, you just, you just see it. Like, like the best, when you have young kids, the best Halloween costume you can do for a young child is dress them up as an old person. Because they just look like an old, like a little itty bitty old person. And see, now we, we view children differently. We see stages of development and growth and things are going on in their brain and seasons that they're going through and all those types of things. They didn't know any of that. They just thought that a, a child was a human being that was this big, right? And eventually they would get this big and then they would know everything they were supposed to know, that they were unfinished humans. And maybe maybe what he's trying to say to the disciples and thereby to us is um, you, you've got sideways, and, and you've started to get impressed with yourself. And you've started to think that you have something to bring to this table. And you've started to think that you have it together. And maybe what he's trying to tell, say to the disciples is, Hey, hey if, if you don't remember and recognize that every single one of us is busted and broken, you might not even make it. If you start to think of yourself as fixed, and good, as it's been said, you know, if, if, if you're good, you have no need for a good Savior. If you can fix yourself, you have no need for a physician. If you can save yourself, you have no need for a Savior. Maybe what he's trying to say to the disciples is remember, all of us are just unfinished projects, that all of us are in process, that all of us are incomplete. It's, it's been said, I, I like the phrase, it, it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to be a liar. And maybe he's just telling the disciples, like, quit lying to yourself. Not a one of you have it together. And maybe he needs to say to us, quit lying to yourself. And the people you sit next to and the, and the people you live with and the coworkers you work with and the neighbors you live by, quit lying. None of us have it together. We, we see this all through Scripture. Paul writes the Church of uh, Philippi in Philippians one verse six. It's one of the great promises that we have hope today. Is he says this? I am sure of this. I'm certain of this. This is one of the most emphatic phrases that Paul can make right here in the Greek. He just I'm convinced that he who began a good work in you will be, bring it to completion at the end at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. If the trumpets haven't sounded, he's not done with you yet. That, that if you're still here, God's still working on you. And so maybe what he's saying to the disciples is like, let's, let's put all this arrogance aside and let's remember that we are God's workmanship, that he's crafting and shaping every single one of us. And maybe today you've been hiding in shame because you've been convinced that everybody else has it together. Everybody else has it figured out. And Satan has been using the shame of your past, the shame of your brokenness, the shame of struggles you have today to convince you to remain silent. And maybe Jesus is trying to tell tell you like he's telling the disciples, we're all busted. And the moment that we can step out in the light and acknowledge that we are all just unfinished humans, it's when God can really begin to do a work in our heart. Maybe it's this. It wasn't in Jewish culture, but it was in cultures around them. And Jesus tends to spend uh, time out on the fringes of society. As, um, he says that of significant importance is to recognize that many cultures saw children as pure and innocent. In fact, there were some cultures where um, they saw children as like the middle ground between the spirit world and the weird world of their pantheon of gods and and the adult material world. And children were kind of this intercessor that, that they saw something in children that was good and innocent and beautiful and lovely. And they imagined that that must be because they have some special connection with God that they have some purity and some innocence. And in fact, um, uh, there were some cultures that would use them as fortune tellers. (laughs) You imagine trusting your life to your four-year-old? What do you think I should do with this? Eat more Oreos. I don't know how that's going to get us there, but sure, right? Pure and innocent. And maybe what he's saying to the disciples is that you have allowed the things of this world to begin to deteriorate and pollute your soul. And a world concerned with posture, status, and power has begun to seep into your soul. And because of Jesus, I took out, Jesus took out that heart of stone that was in you. The heart of bitterness and the heart of anger. And scripture tells us that he takes out the heart of stone and he gives us a heart of flesh. But maybe as you've been following, maybe today as you've been following him, you've been allowing the things of this world to kind of slowly creep their way in. And you've justified it, right? You've said things like, well, you know, I'm an adult. I can can filter. You know, I'm an adult. I mean, it's just in my home. It, It doesn't affect anybody else. It doesn't bother anybody else. Nobody else knows about it. It hasn't had any impact on my relationships. And Jesus is saying, no, it's destroying the most important relationship you have. That the things you've been hiding, the, the things of this world that you've allowed to begin to twist and to change your soul, maybe it's why. Maybe it's why he uses this word that we need to repent, that we need to change. Because maybe there's some things in your life that you've justified and convinced they're just fine. But they are hardening, they are calcifying the arteries of your soul. We see this throughout scripture. Philippians, Paul writes later in Philippians 4. He says, This, finally, brothers, this is the end of his thoughts. Finally, at the end, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things. Maybe. Maybe what he's trying to say is you need to get back to the purity of a child. Maybe what he's trying to say is there have been things in your life that you've allowed to seep in that are beginning to create an obstacle between you and God. They're beginning to harden the heart of your soul in a way where it's making it more and more difficult for you to hear the Spirit of God speaking to you, pushing you, trying to shape you. Maybe you need to strip some things out of your life that you've convinced and culture's convinced it doesn't have any impact on you. It doesn't hurt anything. It doesn't bother anybody. It's just a screen. It's just a thing. It's just a, it's just a time. It's whatever it is. Maybe scripture, as scripture says, we need to be pursuing a kind of purity, a, a kind of a holiness. A kind of holiness. I don't know what Jesus meant. It's really kind of unfortunate. Jesus says, be like a kid. Now on to my next appointment, right? And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, just have bad self-care? Like, what, what do we, do I, do I get to eat ice cream every night? Like, what, what, what are we talking about? What's, what about a kid? I don't know what he meant. I don't know what he meant. But, but here, here's what I think. I think that if you listen, I think that if you sit quietly, I think you'll know. I think that the Spirit of God is going to work on your soul in this space, in this moment, in this time we have together. I think you know. Maybe it's arrogance. Maybe it's your individual identity. Maybe it's that you have have seen the family of God as a secondary need when it fits your convenience. Maybe it's a purity issue. I think you know. Because I think that the Spirit of God is alive and well. And the Spirit of God can speak to you this morning. So my question for you today is what is it? What is it that you have allowed to become an obstacle to your relationship with Jesus? And would you today have the boldness of a child? Because he, he, here, here's one of the really great things. You know what Scripture says? So, uh, scripture, scripture never says... Not that I'm aware of. Scripture never says, be an adult. It tells you to be mature. But you know what it says? It says that we're sons and daughters. We're children of a good father. So be sons and daughters. Sons and daughters who know that your your father is good and kind. And whatever you bring to the table... Your father's going to kneel down and grab you and hug you. Let us be children. Children who look more and more like our father.